Hello and welcome to the Stay at Home School Mom podcast. My name is Ginny Sufert and I'm being joined by Mary Ellen Barrett, my good buddy. And today's episode is going to really affirm why homeschooling is your best option, not only to protect your children's innocence, but to actually teach them that that does go on in school sometimes, not revised, but the real actual history. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, if you are enjoying our podcast, please like and subscribe to it wherever you listen. Give us one of those lovely five-star ratings that we crave. If you want to give us a poor rating, please don't leave a rating at all. But if you want to give us a five-star rating, we'd very much appreciate it. We don't get any extra money for that, but we're homeschool moms, so we're used to doing a lot for nothing. And also, please check out our main sponsor, Seton Home Study School at www.seatonhome.org and find out about the premier Catholic homeschool curriculum. Now, Mary Ellen, would you like to introduce our guest today? We're pretty excited. We are excited. I am so excited. I'm delighted to introduce our guest. I have been a big fan of his social media for a long time now. I would like to welcome to our podcast, Jerry D. Lenneberg, who is a military analyst with over 35 years experience in the defense industry, where he has written extensively on military and national security topics. He's a 1987 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy with a B.S. in history and has an M.S. in technology management and an M.A. in military studies. He served as a naval flight officer from 1987 to 1998 and is a veteran of Operation Desert Storm. He is a member of the Society of Military History and has twice been published in the Journal of Military History. His historical interests include American military history, strategic and operational studies of war, and the effects of technology and society on military forces, and the conduct of warfare. He has taught homeschool history for over 15 years using both Colby curriculum and his own courses covering American history. Jerry, Thank you for your service, first of all, primarily, and welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me on. This is, uh, I I love to talk about history, as you probably know, Um, so I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I have been a big fan of your social media for a long time, and I've been, when we first started this podcast, you were kind of at the top of my list of people I wanted to have on, just because it is so important to me to teach history the way it actually should be taught, like the actual things that actually happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? That's the kind of history you want to teach? Oh my goodness, you racist. Uh, I know. Jerry, <laughs> oh, you know we have a national disaster. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which some people call the nation's report card, 14% of eighth graders are proficient, not advanced, proficient in history, 14%, less than a fifth. And in civics, only about a fifth, 22% of students met the same benchmark. Holy mackerel, Jerry, we have a national, we, this is a national emergency. How can you have good citizens? Yeah, I'm not really sure what they define as proficient in history. Hopefully it's not just memorizing names, dates, uh, people and places. Um, you know, that's uh, one of the things that I have uh, always been a little put off by is how how history is taught, particularly in the public schools, right? Which so that doesn't surprise me because most kids um, either they love or hate history, and a lot of them are like it's boring. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's boring. Probably the way you you're taught it, right? I'll, <clears throat> I'll tell you my public school story, right? So about ten years ago, where I live in Fairfax County, right, which is supposed to be one of the top counties in the nation in school systems, which it, it was fifteen years ago, but we that's a different podcast. Um, they bought new high school history books. 
and they gave the public the chance to go comment on. They put a copy of each book in the local library for you to go look at. So I went in because I said, this I have to see because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of textbooks uh, in general. And I went and saw these and these were high school textbooks. And I I was kind of appalled because they were they were like they're they're glorified graphic novels. I mean, they got lots of pictures, lots of little 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 sound boxes, I call them. But there's not there wasn't a lot of meat there. You know, and I, I was like, this is, this is what we're teaching them. And then this is my check. Whenever I go see any high school textbook, I always look at two things. First of all, if it goes all the way to now, (laughs) I flip back and I look at Ronald Reagan and see how they treated Ronald Reagan, because that's always my litmus test. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I go and um, I look at sort of how they treat the the founders as well. And, um, you know, at this point, the book wasn't, they they were not a fan of Reagan. Chi shocking uh, high school textbook by you know mainstream uh, historians is not a big fan of Reagan, but they weren't uh, at, at that time. They weren't too hard on the the founding fathers. Not like you know I, I don't even I don't even know do they real still use textbooks or is everything on your iPad these days? Well, they well, use mostly on iPads though. Most of the high schools around here issue Chromebooks. Right, they get Chromebooks, but my, some kids have, still have textbooks. But basically, what they learn about the founders, they do know who the founders are, and they know that they had slaves. Yeah, what they, they know that the founders had slaves. That's it. Yeah. So this is another interesting trend that I've I've seen, and and again, I you said we need to teach real history, and I'm a big fan of that, um, which means you know. People have this kind of vision of of grouchy old conservative historians like me that like, oh, well, you just you teach history just as biased. And I'm like, well, no, I teach history, the good, the bad and the ugly. Right. Um, But I I have the the way to teach. There's two ways to teach history, American history. Either America is inherently good, but we've had some bumps or America is this evil, racist, xenophobic place that, you know, is it does nothing but oppress minorities and is not worthy of respect. I mean, that's really there's really no in between these days. And unfortunately, right. um, and that really that what they're taught there kind of forms their whole worldview, not only of, of the of American history, but sort of America now. And like you said, their role as as informed um, citizens, right? So <clears throat> I look at it this way, you know, when, when we, we all learned history back in the days when you had papyrus scrolls and, you know, <laughs> went to like the Alexandria <laughs> library to get your books, right? Um, you know, it was, it was a very, um, sort of heroic view of American history. And I think, you know, for the, the founding of our country, and this was very intentional back in the early days of our country, they really kind of deified the founding fathers, right? I mean, they could do no wrong. They were these almost superhuman individuals. Um, so at that point, there's really nowhere to go but down, right? Right. And um, and I actually think it's more interesting now to see them as humans, right? They were not perfect. There were flaws, you know, um, uh, you did not want to be on the wrong side of George Washington's temper. Not a good plan. Now, you rarely saw George Washington's temper, but when you did, 
it was not a sight to behold because George had a temper, right? Um, and yes, we'll, we'll, we'll go back right to the elephant in the room. Here's the thing that I have a problem with a lot of people, uh, particularly like a topic we'll talk about later. Um, there's a very ahistorical idea that slavery is somehow this uniquely American institution. That drives me crazy. Drives and me that, crazy. that is so ahistorically wrong, but it's hard to convince people who have a vested interest in selling that narrative, right? What's interesting to me, so, of course, everybody's heard of the 1619 Project. Now, by the way, I have to tell you, I'm a lot older than you are. And I learned okay. when I was a kid. The I three, didn't say anything. <laughs> I learned a long time ago, you know, in those days of racist America, I learned that three things happened in 1619. The first women, the first house of Burgesses, and the first African slaves arrived in Jamestown, Virginia. You learned that right. in fourth grade when I was a kid. But actually, those were not the first slaves on the North American continent. The Native Americans kept slaves as far as we know for centuries. There was Yeah, well, and that's... And that's the thing that drives me crazy because I'm like, by the way, if you're a good Christian, slavery was in the Bible. By the way, didn't Lots Jesus address this? Account, you know, um, and if you um, again, if you want to be historical, slavery, the, the last country to own slaves or have slavery was not the United States. It was Brazil. That went into the, uh, I think, 1870, they, eman they, they, they emancipated their slaves. So. You know, slavery is not, you know, you can't ignore it, but I think the the utter fixation on it by certain elements is is just as ahistorical as ignoring it. Um, and again, if you actually read um, and study, for example, the Constitution, right? That's one of their big deals. Uh, here's the other thing that I love to talk about. This is, uh, I use this on uh, teenagers a lot. I said, you are guilty of chronological snobbery. And they look at me and I said, this is C.S. Lewis, right? I love C.S. Lewis, right? Everybody likes C.S. Lewis? Of course. He says, chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. Yeah. And I go, you, you want to be very careful about judging my other favorite people these days, the Greeks and the Romans by our standards, because God bless us. Should our country live another hundred years? I'm not sure you're going to want your great grandkids judging you. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I tell people again, um, let's go back to the slavery thing, right? I tell people, I said, do you understand how warfare worked in the ancient days? When you went to war, it was literally a life or death struggle for your yes. city, state, country, whatever. Because if you lost, the men were generally all killed and the men and, and the women and children were put into slavery. And that's just the way it was. And you're like, Ugh! you know, they get all horrified. But I said, that's that's the way warfare was. That's why warfare was a very important matter of state, because it was literally a matter of life and death. I said slavery was not uh, was a global thing for thousands of years and um my understanding you know, is it still exists in parts of africa yeah well slavery, yeah it still exists i mean america has rejected slavery obviously but it still exists in the world it's yeah, still exactly it still i would remind everybody of that little pesky group called isis right yeah. everybody remember them so 
<clears throat> so the other thing, so I, I think it's important to teach a balance. Um, what the other thing that I tell people, and I've been telling people that for about, oh, I don't know, since our last uh, little kerfuffle, um, which is you've seen that they're changing books because they're offensive to some people, right? Oh, please. Oh. Everything's so going to somebody. So I told people, I said, well, buy, start buying paper because yeah. they can't change paper. I said, I don't even want to think about what, what uh, you know, a, a electronic textbook may be in another 10 years. No, it's going to be garbage. It's going to be garbage. The the thing that that I always think about, too, is it is absolutely proper and correct and and historically accurate that we discuss slavery and how African-Americans were treated in American history. However, my daughter stood up in a wedding in Philadelphia, and that church was um, burned to the ground by know-nothings in the 19th century. Well, now that's an interesting little... And Italian people were lynched in um, in Louisiana. I believe it was the largest mass lynching in the history of the United States. And let's talk about the Irish and how they like were treated. Irish, which is very personal to me. Yeah, let's talk about the Irish. I mean, basically, if, how about the Chinese people? California's thinking of giving reparations, even though it was not a slave state. They're thinking of giving reparations to African-American people. But they've treated the Chinese who were building the railroad horribly. And they inter- the Japanese and they were interred Japanese. there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we have a a lot of warts to contend with in this country. We do. And it's, it's, and trying to make yours. On the other hand, on the other hand, you know, I think what we have to look at is, you know, the other thing that I like to do is you look at, say, the American Revolution compared to the French Revolution compared to the Russian Revolution. Which one would you rather have? Uh huh. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 warts and all, I mean, you know, again, the other thing that, uh, you know, a lot of people fixate on is, you know, what happened to the, I don't even know what you call them anymore, American Indians, First Peoples, Native, Amer- I don't even know what you, you know, whatever. You're going to um, annoy somebody and, no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's that's a, a, a fairly robust uh, area of history um, as well, too. So, um, yeah, I mean, America's not perfect, right? Overall, unless you're just a big fan of Howard Zinn, which I am not, I don't see how you can't say that, you know, America has progressed, I use that word, quite a bit since 1619. Are are we perfect? No. Are are there things that can be improved? Sure. But um, this is the other interesting thing. Um, You know, I was talking to people the other day and you know, you have that early American history that people are really curious about. But this is the other thing that's really interesting. I put a poll up on my Instagram feed once, and I said, what is it that you would like to learn about that you felt that you didn't learn in high school? And, you know, people are like, oh, they wanted to hear about Korea or Vietnam because their grandfather was in Korea or their grandfather was in Vietnam. Um, you know, they want to hear about the Cold War because, you know, in a typical high school history class, you, you know, you start, you don't have enough time during the year to get all the way to current events. And I think, like you said earlier, I think current events are just as important to understand. This is the other thing I tell kids. I said, think about this. Your day-to-day life right now in 20 years, 30 years is going to be history to your grandkids, right? 
I was I I had to I had to stop and think one day when I'm going, okay, so the new kids that were coming into youth ministry at the time with us, they were born, they have no memory of 9-11. None. Oh gosh. It's it's like this old dusty, you know, 9-11. Hey, mom and dad, were you around in 9 right? Like, you know, I, I, I remember when Reagan got shot. I remember when the Pope got shot. I remember when the Challenger exploded. Uh, I remember the, the, the fall of the Berlin, Berlin wall. I remember Neil Armstrong standing on the moon. That's how old I am. Okay. I didn't say that. Um, (laughs) but, but you know, that's what I, that's what I tell kids. I I said, think about it. I, I mean, Here's my perfect example. In 30 years, what are we going to tell our kids about the COVID pandemic or grandkids? What's yeah, the history going to be like that. for that? I talk right. about that a lot, how it yeah. looks in hindsight. But, you know, it's interesting you brought up 9-11 because my husband and I were both from New York. We moved to Chicago many years ago, but we owned our own business. And every year for 9-11, my husband would buy his staff T-shirts that they could wear if they wanted to. And they would mm-hmm. T-shirts of the, of the towers and it would say never forget or something like that, which was... Mm-hmm which is what we all talked about. We forgot. We forgot. To well, we oh did. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, well, my husband was in Manhattan when it hit and had to walk across the 59th street bridge through Queens to, mm-hmm. to get to a bus that would take him halfway home. And I had to go get him and it was a nightmare. And so some of my kids were, they're old enough to remember that. You know, they they were little, yeah. they were tiny, but they they're old enough to remember that. And and I often think of that like that's a story that my husband has, like this seminal moment in American history that he in some way participated yeah. in. I was completely losing my mind because he was in Manhattan yeah. and I didn't know where he was. And I he was, you know, it was it, you have a great you have a great family story there. I think a, a very interesting international story is that the largest marine evacuation in the history of the world, which we always kind of think of Dunkirk, was no, actually the Manhattan's battery. People from oh, yeah. Long Island and Staten Island came yes. over with boats and they said, hey, anybody going to Hoboken? And yeah. from Hoboken, we would hop on the boat. So these are things that I think would be so, I loved history, by the way. At one point I had three kids in college, all three of them were history majors. Uh, we're a big history family. So- Okay, so what? So what did your three kids do after college? None of them became the history majors. And one of them is a med device salesman. Another another one is actually a teacher. He teaches history sometimes. Teaches history and English. Right. And, other, and, and actually, what's the other one? med device salesman. Now that I think of it, med device salesman pays a whole lot better than history teacher. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing, you know, because I I had this. Uh, um, discussion with one of my classmates at a reunion and uh because you know at the naval academy they used to make fun of history majors they called us bull majors right and um and i remember having this discussion with him because he said uh you know he was i don't know electrical engineer mechanical engineer whatever the heck and he said uh he said history major what the heck did you do with that i said i used it every day in the navy yeah i said every day i said here's the other thing here's the other thing that I like to teach in history and why I think history is important not only for for gaining an actual knowledge of American history but I think history teaches kids some important skills um, that they can use no matter what what their their chosen profession is um, I told my I told this guy I said look when I was in the Navy here's what I did I spent a lot of time reading and a lot of time writing reports and I said mm-hmm. you know so being a history major I learned how to take a bunch of different sources, primary sources, secondary sources, 
Um, I would have to evaluate them. I would have to synthesize them. And then I would have to be able to communicate um, some point clearly, concisely, and, you know, with the appropriate uh, reference material to back it up. And I said, and I, I did that every day in the Navy. And I do that almost every day in my job right now. I, I asked this guy, I said, so you're a mechanical engineer. How much did you use your mechanical engineering degree? Right? Yeah, how much did you he? Know, what What did none. he say? None. <laughs> none. The only people at the academy that actually used their engineering degrees were um, the guys that went nuke. The guys that went nuke would use their engineering degrees. Yeah. But for the rest of us, no, because we're going to be military officers first. But um, that's see, that's a great case. I have a similar story. Um, not so elite, but <laughs> it's a great case for liberal arts education. I, I started um, in college as a business major at St. John's University. Um, and back when it that actually meant something in New York. And it was a hard school to get into. And I, I ran up against calculus and I said, OK, I can't be a business major. And so I. Yeah, that was why I was not an engineer either. <laughs> right. You got it. Uh -huh. So I, uh -huh. I switched to English lit. But I had an economics minor and a business management minor. My father lost his mind because he said, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to teach? And I said, no, I don't want to teach. Homeschooling 21 years. Right. I said, I don't like kids. I don't want to teach. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> and then I had eight kids and I, I homeschooled. Irony there. <laughs> so uh -huh. he just went nuts. He says, you're never going to be able to get a job. But I got hired in an investment bank to teach Wharton and, and Harvard Business School graduates how to present themselves and rewrite everything they ever wrote. Like that was my first job in the marketing department on mm -hmm. a fixed income securities trading floor was to help these people who could not express themselves. So you would think that um, a history major, an English major or something like that, people think that it's entirely useless when I have found it to be the most useful thing. I And then I went to business school for finance, but it was the most useful thing. Similarly to you, I still use my degree every day, even though I'm a homeschool mom and I'm a writer and I edit and I, I write curriculum and stuff. I still use it every day. Well, I think now that uh, we've heard how it, you're, uh, Degrees are actually quite useful. I don't have a degree, so I never had to worry about it. I think this might be a really good time for us to take a break. Uh, we are very grateful to Seton Home Study School, our primary sponsor, but we do have other sponsors. Perfect. Let's just uh, take a short break and have a message from one of them. Hi, this is Mary Ellen Barrett. I spent many years traveling around the country speaking to Catholic homeschooling families, encouraging them and helping them make the right curriculum choices for their family. One of the hardest things to hear is that parents want very much to enroll their children in Seton Home Study School, but are unable to for financial reasons. At Seton, we realize this can be a heartbreak for parents who want a solid Catholic education for their children, and we strive to keep our fees as low as possible. However, some families need a little extra help. If you can find it in your heart to help one of these families, please go to seatonhome.org and click on the donations tab at the top of the page and give what you can. 100% of the money you give goes to a homeschooling family who is in need of financial assistance. No one should be prevented from giving their child a Catholic education because of financial difficulties. So we ask that you give us a hand in helping those families at seatonhome.org on the donations tab. Thank you and God bless you. 
And we well, want to thank our sponsor very much. Um, we we really rely on our sponsors here at the Stay at Home School Mom podcast, and we're very, very grateful for them. So please check out our sponsors and make sure that you, again, take a like to our podcast wherever you're listening, because if you do, we will pray for you. And if you don't, we will pray for you too, but it'll be another we'll pray prayer. You, we'll pray you, actually, so that's the way it works. Um, Getting back to our guest, Jerry Lennonberg, um, last August, the New York Times reported that the United States Constitution was broken and it should not be reclaimed. They say that it should uh, it orients us to the past rather than the present and the future. And this particular essay in the Times was written by two professors from Ivy's. One is from uh, Harvard, one from Yale. And it seems to reflect the opinion of many in in higher education. And as we've seen in like Loudoun County, Virginia, in fact, all over the country, parents like don't know where to go, Jerry. How you can't feel like you can't send your kid to school, but can you? Or does it does it just mean you got a lot of school board meetings? Can you send your kid to college? How do you find? I mean, talk to us a little bit about how parents can navigate their kids and create great citizens. So, okay, so if you put your kids in public school, I, I would say first of all, don't. But that would probably be a little controversial. No, um, well, we agree with that entirely. We agree with that. <laughs> it should be public. But, 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 but for sure, you should be aware of what they're, what they're learning, right? Um, for example, uh, I, look, I actually uh, obtained, uh, you know, I got all the study books for the AP history course back in 2020. During, during the pandemic, I did a bunch of Instagram lives um, yes. uh, talking about different history topics. And, you know, and I thought it was okay. I know that it's had a lot of controversy, particularly their uh, what I call their niche history of, you know, the African-American history, and maybe they want to do a Hispanic American, whatever I said. I, I, okay. I'm just talking about the basic American history course. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was okay. Um, and the one thing I liked about it is, it, it, is they, they taught it kind of like the way that I teach history. I taught history um, for 12 years. Uh, don't hate me, but most of my uh, history that I taught was using the Colby curriculum because that's what my friends used. And they had four kids that all used <laughs> the same curriculum, right? You're all familiar with that. Absolutely. So I did Colby. So I yeah. did Colby curriculum, which I almost completely love their history. Uh, they they do Greek as freshmen, Roman as as uh, sophomores, medieval as juniors, and and uh, American history as seniors. Their Greek and Roman history is outstanding. Loved it. Uh, I did not like their medieval history. The last two kids, I ditched it. And I did uh, American history as a junior. And then the senior year, I did a course on the American Constitution. Um, And I said, here's the problem. Number one, most of these people that complain about the Constitution have never read it. I guarantee you, never read it. That's absolutely right. true. You you find that because um, you if you ask if you pin people down to what it actually says, they have read. no idea. They have no clue. Yeah, they, they have, have no, no idea. I've done that a few times. Say that women have a right to an abortion. Tell me where it says that, or even where women have a right to privacy. Where does it say that? So that's come up. Right. So you have to. Um, so uh, the Constitution is, as you probably both know, if you follow me, has been one of my favorite topics of study lately because I didn't know a whole lot about it either. And the first time I read it, I'm just like, huh. I said, that's interesting. That particular clause and article have been twisted way out of all what the founders originally intended. So first of all, you have to read the original documents, right? I tell people, people tell me, what what books do I buy? The first book I tell everybody to buy 
uh, and I, no, I don't make any commission off of it, but I tell everybody, is Barnes & Noble actually has a really awesome, one of their um, uh, special books, a leather-bound copy of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, and a bunch of other writings that you cannot beat for 25 bucks. And I tell all homeschooling families to buy one of these, because if you're going to homeschool certainly more than one child, you will get a lot of use out of it because you have to read the original documents. The other way that I teach history, I use a book, right? I don't, I, you know, you have to use a book. Um, I use either Land of Hope, which is a really good book, and they actually have a teacher's guide too, which they came out yeah. with. So if you're intimidated by, oh, how do I teach? They have a t they have a teacher's guide, and I also did a course on Patriots history. So the two things that I try to get all of my students to do is number one. I, I, I let them kind of roam. So I give them book reports. I have them, you know, do a biography. I'm like, pick something that interests you, right? Because you'll study history more if you find something that interests you. And yes, one of my students want to do the history of video games. Cool. <laughs> have at it. I said, have at it, dude. I want a 10-page paper in uh, Chicago style, appropriately sourced and with biography and footnotes. Have at it. Go get them. Andrew Jackson's a little more interesting than that, but that's just well me. to you. But to a kid, I mean, that just gets him uh, interested in something, and he's learning how to write a paper. And it probably goes a back lot a lot further than we think—the history of video games or whatever. Oh, oh, it was a fascinating paper because huh, I was alive when Pong was invented. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> oh, I had Pong. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, dude, this is not thing. history. This is my middle school years. <laughs> I know when your middle school years are history, it's time to like reassess. Yeah. Like oh my gosh. <laughs> first came out and we said, look, it just moves. Would you just turn the little paddle? And it up goes, we couldn't believe right. it. We were fascinated. By <laughs> so the, so I have them do a lot of reading. And I the most important thing is I have them do a lot of writing because kids don't write in public schools. Not yeah. that I've not not what we did right back in our day. No, you know, and, who remember? Yeah, Who that's remembers the junior and senior term paper, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. I wrote constantly in high school. It was a huge mm -hmm. thing. I, I went to a private Catholic high school for girls. And mm -hmm. it's the reason I'm a writer was my freshman English teacher. I had been I had won an award like in middle school. I went to public school up until then. And I won an award because I was like the best writer in the middle school. And then I went yeah. and in my first paper with this ninth grade teacher my freshman year got it back and it was a D. Oh, it was all, uh, it was all redlined. It was terrible. You can't and do I, that now because you traumatize them with red ink. Well, you know why I am th that freshman year is the reason I'm a writer and I'm a, and I'm a pretty good one. Like I, I've, I've been published. I know I'm a, this is one of one thing I can do pretty well. And it's because of that guy, because he red inked mm -hmm. me to death and he made me a better writer because he made me mm -hmm. work all the time at it and it's hard right. work and nobody works at that anymore they nobody don't work right. at that anymore. and this is a big problem jerry it's certainly a problem in the public schools one of my sons i said is a teacher uh if you get an uh, an assignment you have to read i don't know uh, uh the old man in the sea and then you have to submit an outline about a paper you know with certain writing prompts and then you have to uh you know submit a draft and then you have to submit the final paper right. on a certain mm -hmm. yep yep if you do nothing if you don't if you don't read the book, you don't write the draft, you don't write the outline, you don't do anything, you get a 50. 
Yeah, well, that's the other trend that I have seen schools are doing. They're not really grading you anymore. They're not expecting performance. Um, and again, I, I think part of this is the fallout from the pandemic. But um, yeah, again, those of us that survived the era of the red pen are better for it. Yeah. Right. Because, uh, you know, writing is hard. Writing takes practice. Right. You have to write. And, you know, and I tell and I spend a lot of time with my students on writing because, you know, to be honest, there's there's the mechanics and then there's sort of the style and then there's sort of the purpose of writing. Right. So you have to get the mechanics right. You have to get the grammar right. You have to write, you know. Uh, you know, an essay that has a topic, you know, every paragraph has to have a topic sentence and every essay has to have an introduction and a body and a conclusion, you know, da, 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 right. That's the, the process you teach it. But then you teach it. Okay. Does your paper accomplish what you want? Right. If you're trying to convince me of a point of view, have you done that? And they're like, uh, I said, don't ask me. I'm going to tell you what I think. What do you think? Do you think you have convinced me of your point of view? Uh, I'm not really sure, Mr. Lindenberg. Well, then let's talk about it, right? Um, so I think, again, part of that history is working through sources, gathering your thoughts, arranging those thoughts, and communicating those thoughts. And I'll tell you what, it's a big problem in the business world. 30 years ago, oh yeah. my gosh, 30, oh, 30 yeah. years ago? 30 years ago, when I, was, when I finished my... Um, we didn't do a thesis back then. We did a management project. And uh, as soon as I survived that, which was not a fun experience, um, as I was debriefing, I said, so what's, you know, so what's the number one thing that when you go out to companies to get feedback, what do they say? And they said, the number one thing is communication, oral communication, written communication, because you have a lot of really smart people. You know, this is the era when the Internet first started to take off. Biotech started to take off. And all these guys were super geniuses, couldn't write a paragraph to save their life. Right. And what they're trying to do is sell their vision to some finance person, a venture capitalist, a business major, has no clue what their widget is. They just want to know how's it going to make money? What's the market? How, how are you going to bring this to production? And that's what they couldn't do. They could work equations and all this, but they, they couldn't do PowerPoint, which I find hilarious because every military guy knows how to do PowerPoint, um, especially if you're in the Air Force. But that's another topic of conversation. But they couldn't communicate. And I said, that's why And I, I came home and I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I'm a history major because I end up writing every I end up writing the reports because they just can't. They, they're there's every group project I did in in graduate school, I always wrote the report. And everybody was like, dudes, I was a history major as an undergrad. Oh, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, right. See, so when moms, when your kids want to major in history and English and all of these like liberal arts studies, do not discourage them. It's okay. You don't have to be a STEM person. (laughs) It's okay. You're going to be fine. (laughs) What Jerry was just with presentations, remember I said two of my history majors uh, became med device salesmen. Yep. They and have I bet to that was... and present to yeah. hospital committees and that sort of stuff. Uh, they have to be able to to give them usually oral presentations and demonstrations and that sort of yep. thing. Uh, I made my students do that too. They hated it. 
Yeah, of I made, they I did, made, uh, but it's it's good for them. They they need to do that. Oh, like being poised and articulate is an important life skill. The notion that yep. we should always give kids things to do that they like. Or oh, they, I know, but I mean, it's intimidating, right? I mean, sure. you you all know being a public speaker. I mean, it is not for everybody. But I said it doesn't matter whether you want to be a public speaker or not. At some point in your career, you will have to give up, get up, and give a presentation to somebody about something. Well, that, that's a very good point because you don't actually have to be talented at something to have to know how to do it. So yeah, exactly. I, have, I have people who say, well, my kid's just not talented at writing. Well, writing is a craft and you can practice it and be skillful at it without being talented at it. I am not, I, I have very little music in me, but I took piano for many years to the point where the teacher said to my mother, really, you're wasting your money. She has no talent. <laughs> but I can competently play the piano. Now, I have musical children. I have actual, like, professional musicians, my children. They are talented, and they work hard at it. And when they play music, it's vastly different than when I play something. But I right. can competently play a couple of songs on the piano. It's You have to be able to not always focus on what you're good what you want to do or what you're talented at but you have to be good at a lot of things to be successful in life and that yeah. means just practicing stuff maybe you don't want to do you yeah. just don't want to yeah. do it it's boring to you or you you're not really good at it and it's a lot of hard work and whatever and i feel like the entire our entire society now just doesn't want to focus on that like there's a lot of hard work in, involved in being I don't know, a, a reasonably successful or competent person. Yep. In, any, in any field, in any field. Absolutely first, any field. Show up, show up on time, apply yourself to the task at hand, ask for help if you need it. And and so you're right. I think the lessons that we can get from a good history course, from learning about the other thing uh, that you didn't mention, Jerry, but I wouldn't mind bringing it up. Remember I said, uh, I find uh, uh, Jack Jackson, Andrew Jackson, a lot more interesting than video games. One of the things that happens, at least I push this like crazy with my own kids. Andrew Jackson was on his own when he was maybe 13. Yeah. I love pointing this out to kids too. I'm like, you realize that by 18, most of, you know, most children, they, they were not children. They were adults, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's been an internet meme and I can't remember where it is that goes around that, that points out the age of the, a lot of the founding fathers, right? You know, Alexander Hamilton was, I think, 21 when the revolution started. James Monroe was maybe 18. I mean, you know, kids kids <clears throat> grew up very quickly <laughs> back then. Um, and they were all, you know, very well educated, right? This is, you know, the, the founders studied Greek. They studied Latin. They studied the Romans. They studied the Greeks. Um, they, you know, they read Rousseau and some of the other, uh, you know, great philosophers and thinkers of their day, um, they were very educated men. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I love to point that out to them as they're doing generally something stupid. I'm like, you know, 16-year-olds <laughs> were in the militia back in the revolutionary days, just pointing that out, you know. Um, yeah. One of the other things that parents ask me a lot is, well, how do I get my boys in particular interested in history because, you know, he just doesn't like to read, right? Now, I got my first start in history uh, as a young boy when my mother took me to this wondrous place called the library, right? <laughs> Which in the town of Collinsville, Oklahoma, that was a really big deal. Uh, 
because you could like take books home, like <laughs> as many as you wanted. And, you and they were them, free. <laughs> and they were free. And then you bring them back and get other books. And, um, you know, that's what my parents did. They never really pushed me or anything. They just said, oh, here's this library. And you can, you know, within reason. I mean, they didn't have to worry about the books that are in libraries now. Just check oh, out yeah, whatever too, you want. You can't go to the library around here in June. I mean, it's well, hard to go at any time. But in June, we were just, yeah. I was just talking to uh, a bunch of, I was at a meeting with a bunch of young beautiful wonderful homeschooling moms they they i think the oldest kid in 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 there was like 9 you know the oldest one and there were 10 mm-hmm. homeschool moms and they were saying we can't go to the library we can't go to target we can't go anywhere in june <laughs> yeah well that's the libraries topic are of conversation. terrible but there's other than the month great kids books you can still get biographies of the mm-hmm. founders it's a good idea usually to look for books that were published before say 1970 or so uh, but so when can- I was a kid, my favorite books were the American Heritage series. American oh, Heritage yes. made a whole series of books. And, you know, it's sad. Some genius needs to buy the rights to those. Some homeschool publishing company, hint, hint, wink, wink, needs to figure <laughs> out how to buy the rights to those books because they could make a fortune. Making because a note I, of it. <laughs> yeah, because I loved those books. And I tried, I've tried to find them on Amazon. I've tried to find them on eBay. Um, if you actually find a full set of them, it's more than I want to pay for them. Mm-hmm. But they are wonderful. Now, there's some new books since, you know, I, I'm trying to pitch. Um, the Great Battle Series for Boys is really, really outstanding. Uh, a couple of parents have asked me about those. Um, you know, the, the classics, right? Johnny Tremaine. Um, if your kids are in high school, the other thing that I use as a vehicle to teach uh, history is historical fiction, right? If you've never read the book, The Killer Angels, I, I highly recommend it, right? I read that as a midshipman, and um, it, it won the Pulitzer Prize back when the Pulitzer Prize meant something, um, and it was a fantastic book. And and the guy's son has written a whole series of historical fiction I've actually um, that, met him. I've met Jeff Shara, and he has written yes. some books. But even before high school, when I was a kid, I read the Laura Ingalls Wilder books, as most American girls did. Yep. And in yep. my mind, in my mind, I was little Laura living in a cabin in Wisconsin. Exactly. And that's how you bring history alive and make this, it interesting. They're like, oh, they're kids where, like me. And they got into mischief and got in trouble and did yeah. dumb things. Why, yes, yes, they did. But that's you okay. Know, that's okay. Yeah. The other thing that I did a lot with my children, uh, maybe, and this is, we had 12 kids and I could count on one hand the number of times we went to amusement parks. Like we never took, we, we didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. My husband hated them. We didn't do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Okay. But we took them, I can't tell you how many battlefields, restored mansions. Um, oh, now you're talking my love language. You can ask Mary how many battlefields I've dragged her. I know. To. Yeah, I, she posts about it every so often. <laughs> we we just I mean, camped uh, two two falls ago. I don't know at Gettysburg, and I honestly was thinking of you. <laughs> we were camping. You know, I've always I've and my always kids Mary, loved I, it. I've told Mary. I said, you know what? We should just throw up on Instagram that we're going to go to Gettysburg one Saturday morning and we're going to be there at nine o'clock and anybody that would like to join us can come. I would do that. Honestly, I would be there. It's four hours for me. I'd go the night before. I would. 
Because, uh, really well, we would too. See, that's how I bribe her. I'm like, honey, if you go with me, we could stay in a bed and breakfast. We'll have a nice dinner afterwards. You know, it's bribery. I'm, well, I'm not I'll above meet that. you there. I haven't had a meal with Mary in a long time. So we we should have a catch up. So, But uh, I try <laughs> to go to helps. Gettysburg at least once a year. Um, we, we, we've gone up for the reenacting weekend before, which is awesome. But it's really hot because it's yeah. July. And well, it's crowded. Um, it's hot and it's crowded, Cherry. <laughs> the battle, battle oh, is, Nassus is pretty close to where you live. That's a great battlefield. Um, my yeah. husband one time, my husband one time took a, a softball team down to Florida, and mm-hmm. the girls go out on the beach, and he was like, and my husband's not like me. He wasn't. He's not the modesty lunatic or anything, but he goes out on the beach and he was horrified by the bathing suits. All these girls have on, not our girls, mm-hmm. but the other ones. He's all right, girls, come on. And he took them to the battleship um, in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, you mm-hmm. can you can find a restored schoolhouse. You can find a little military museum. You can find tanks that kids can climb on. You can find something somewhere to Absolutely. get your yep. in every state. Yeah, every state every in the state, nation has it. Uh, old New Salem. Yep. In, uh, is a, a town that Lincoln lived in, in his early adult. Oh, I got the book. I got the book of every battlefield, museum, anything in the United States. I said, honey, here we go. Here's our travel plans for the next couple of summers. Well, this was my whole childhood, was my father driving us up and down the entire East Coast. I was from actually Quebec to Florida. Yep, we live in New yep, York. Yep. And we visited every bloody field he had yep, my that's brother what mary's dad did too oh, I said, gosh. now it's me honey now you know why sherry <laughs> he got very historian listen Sherry, you have been so kind oh so generous with your time and your thoughts uh we can't huh. really thank you enough uh there's obviously there's no possible way we could milk every bit of information out of Jerry during this one podcast. So we are definitely going to try to beat him up and get him back again. Absolutely. We are going to impose on you again, Jerry, because I feel like this should be a two, three, four part series. <laughs> I really do. And he has an extensive collection um, of lessons and curriculum on his YouTube channel, as well as book lists, other resources. Um, we'll be posting links to all of that in the show notes. Yeah, I, I, yeah, particularly uh, the Goodreads page because people ask me about books all the time. So I've built lots of different lists on my Goodreads page because um, you know Father's Day is coming up. Just saying, right? You know, we've had nothing. Yeah, anybody's actually- thinking about a Father's Day gift? Just saying, <laughs> got lots of book recommendations. That's so. Jerry's Goodreads. If you don't know, Goodreads.com is a is a readers kind of website app that you can make lists and and share with people who have similar interests. And I love it on there. And I actually don't want Jerry to look at my what I read because it's embarrassing <laughs> because it's so much less. I don't know intellectual. intellectual. <laughs> well, Jerry, thank you so much. God bless you. Uh, we hope that we can have you back again. Well, thank you. It was fun. I appreciate the opportunity. God bless. Bye-bye now. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Seton Home Study School. Seton Home Study School is a nationally accredited, faithfully Catholic, private distant learning school that serves students from pre-K through 12th grade. There are currently 17,000 homeschool students enrolled in Seton Home Study School and many, many more who use their books and materials, including several small Catholic schools. Since 1983, Seton Home Study School has faithfully served the homeschool community in the United States and all over the world. Please check out their website, Seton Home. 
www.seatonhomestudyschool.org for more information. And thank you, Seton Home Study School, for sponsoring the podcast, The Stay-at-Home Schooling Moms.